Wake up from your slumber, man. Wake up from your slumber. We're excited today. Take those words to heart. We're going to address some of those uh, concerns today, how men need to wake up in their walks with God. And we are asleep. We're sleeping on our watch. And so as we begin this brand new series today, we're going to address some realities. I'm going to show you the condition of men. Then I'm going to show you where you can be and then give you an opportunity to be that person. I love talking to men. And you can get with my staff. The guys know we love getting together and chatting. There's few passions inside of me. I love leading people to the Lord. I love leading my family and loving my wife and my kids. I love watching marriage flourish. And I love hanging out with men and watching men come alive. There's nothing that charges me up more than those things. And so when I have an opportunity to speak specifically to men, I love doing that. And I love that you're here today. I want to thank you for coming today. But I'm I'm going to give you some truth today. You might not like me for part of this message. I'm okay with that, by the way. Because truth needs to be spoken But I'm excited to think about what could happen if you really, really listen and let the Spirit of God grab a hold of your heart and let Him transform you. Oh, man, the world is yet to see what could happen if every man at Grace Community got on mission for Jesus Christ. We would be a hell-stomping force for Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about that. I want to give you some reality, reality check, though. There's this word that sociologists are using in our world today. If you do any studies on men, if you take the time to read stuff about men, and I read as much as I can. In fact, I just read the newest book that was released. It's called The Book of Man by William Bennett. And this book gives a lot of stats and realities regarding the condition of man in our world. They're using this terminology when they speak of men. They're calling it the dumbing down of men. That there's this, there's this trend in our world that's going downward. And for the first time in history, women are better educated, more ambitious, and arguably more successful than men. Now, society has, has rightly celebrated the extension of women. And we're saying, we told girls, and girls have been told, you go get them, girls. And girls, you went and got them. But there's this, just the same thing. That while you've been doing that, men have, are going in the opposite direction. There's, so there's these two charts. One's going this way for men, and the women are climbing like that, and we're celebrating that. We're excited about that. But what would happen if both men and women both were on the incline and being all that they could be in Jesus Christ? The data does not bode well for us guys. In fact, listen to some of these startling statistics regarding men. In 1970, men earned 60% of all college degrees. By 1980, just 10 years later, the figure fell to 50%, 10% drop-off in college degrees. By 2006, it was 43%, just five years ago, and the, and the decline is continuing. In 1970, 60% of men were getting college degrees. Now, in 2006, five years ago, 43%. Women now surpass men in college degrees by almost three to two. Women's earnings grew 44% in real dollars from 1970 to 2008, compared to 6% growth for men. We're, we're excited about that, celebrating that for women. But there's been this, just the opposite. Men are slowly falling behind in their responsibilities as men of God and as men who are supposed to lead. Today... As of 2010, the statistics show, 11 is now, but as of 2010, 18 to 30-year-old men spent more time playing video games than 12 to 17-year-old men. Now think about that for a second. 18 to 34-year-old men are spending more time playing video games than 12 to 17-year-old boys. And I did say boys. Men are spending... Three and a half hours to five hours every day playing video games. Guys, that's horrible. Three and a half to five hours a day playing video games. 18 to 30 year old, 34 year old men. In addition to that, men 18 to 34 to 40 years old up to 50 years old, are spending 4.54 hours every day watching TV. You do the numbers. 
four plus three plus four. You can do either eight to nine hours a day that men are spending playing video games and watching TV. Is it any wonder there's a decline in education? Is there any wonder that we're seeing men fall by the wayside and being the men that God wants them to be? Women are graduating from college and finding good jobs. Too many men are not going to work, not getting married and not raising families. Women are beginning to take the place of men, sociologists tell us, and we're seeing it in many ways. This has led to ask this question. Sociologists are actually asking this question. If you go to a university today, they're asking this question. Where are the men? Where are they at? It doesn't stop there. The term adolescence. Now in your mind... When you think of an adolescent, at what age does that begin and end? Well, I looked up Webster's definition of adolescence. Here's what adolescence, how it's defined in the dictionary. It's the traditional period or the transitional period between puberty and adulthood and human development. Extending mainly over the teen years and terminating legally. Legally it terminates, supposed to, when the age of a majority is reached In other words, when he becomes an adult. So it's generally speaking from 13 to 19 to 20 years old, adolescence. That's the period that it's supposed to run to. Yet sociologists are showing that adolescence is lasting with men into their late 40s. They're little boys clean through their 40s, doing the things that 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 18 year old boys are doing. Into their 40s. This eternal frat party is continuing into their 40s. Seriously, think about it. Where, where are the men? In 1954, 96% of all American men between the ages of 25 and 34 worked, had a job. They did something. They, they were working. They were trying to make their way. 1954, 96% of American men had a job. We're trying to find their way. Today, that number is around 80%. That means one in five men in America in their prime age are not getting up and going to work. Even the code of men has changed. The term gentleman is collapsing. The code that I've been trying to pour into my voice, these, these intrinsic truths about how men should treat women and how men should work hard and have a work ethic and how men should be respectful of ladies. This code of, of valor, this code of respect, this code of dignity that used to mean something. When you said gentlemen, you knew what that meant. Even that term, that code is collapsing. There was once a common understanding of, of standard and behavior for men to which they were supposed to hold themselves to. Men would keep their word. There actually was a time in our world where a handshake meant something. Where you reached across the table and made a deal on a, buying something, and your word actually meant something. When you said, I do, it meant something. When you said, I purchase, I buy, it meant you owned it. It meant when you said, I'll follow through, I'll be there, you showed up. That word is dissipating in our world today with men. There was a time when that meant something. You could keep your word. How about the code where men are not supposed to take advantage of women? Whatever happened to that gentleman's code? Whatever happened that men weren't supposed to touch a lady? Whatever happened that you would never put your hands on a woman in an angry way? Whatever happened that you would never abuse, you would never rape, you would never take advantage, you would never get into human sex slavery. Whatever happened to men that says, let's put an end to that. Now, just statistics are shown, it's just declining more and more and more. The moral code, the ethical code of men is, is slowly dissipating. Or how about the code where men were supposed to support their children that they birthed? Where they didn't expect the mother of the child or the family of the child to care for that. If they had a child, they went to work and they paid and gave emotionally, physically their attention, financially their attention to this child that had their name attached to it. Now, men just flood the courts because with women standing there waiting for the father who has 
been neglectful of, of caring for his child that he's given birth to. Men giving birth to four and five and six kids at a time and then fleeing and running and finding someone else that he can have another child with. Whatever happened to just purity? Whatever happened to morality? Whatever happened to dignity? Whatever happened to loyalty? The code of gentlemen is, is in decline. Whatever happened when men wouldn't speak harshly and watch their language in front of children that were in a room? Whatever happened that you would never curse in front of a lady? Whatever happened to that? Whatever happened to the time when lady could walk down the street and workers wouldn't hurl insults and, and, and improper language to her? Whatever happened, someone would stand up and say, now enough of that. Where, what, where are the men in the workplace that would stand up and say, you know what? Enough of that nonsense. There's a lady in the house. Watch your mouth. Whatever happened to that? Should we just sit around and accept, well, that's what it is? No, not men of God. Whatever happened to a gentleman's code? Where a man in the name man meant something that with dignity and respect and honor and protection and godliness. See, this code is fading. Whatever happened to fathers that stood up for their kids and poured into them emotionally, physically, financially, and spiritually and led the family. So now you have a world filled with single moms, adultery, boys who still live with their parents in their late 20s and 30s, boys in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who refuse to become men and rather remain adolescents. Even today, when a woman looks at a man who asks her to marry him, she looks at him, and her first question is this, does your mom have a job? Because she knows there might be a point that he won't work and the mother-in-law can support the family. You laugh. But how many mothers and fathers are paying the mortgage payments for their, for their kids and their, their son-in-law and for their daughter-in-law? How many are doing that? How many of people are going into marriage with husbands who don't have jobs and are not able to support and care for their bride-to-be? And they're thinking, you have a good job. We'll depend on you and your in-laws. We laugh at that, but it's common. Look at the boys who have yet to grow up. Mom continues to coddle him, pay his rent, cook his supper. She even calls in sick for him when she's 20 plus years old because he's not man enough to say he's sleeping in and lazy. Moms, are you going to continue to do this for your little boys? Dads, are you going to continue to allow it? There's time when dad finally says, hey, young man, you get a job. If you're living in this house, you're paying rent. You're paying for the food. And soon, you're out of here. You're on your own. Whatever happened to fathers that said that to their children, to especially their sons, in love and says, it's your time to be an adult. I love this verse. Don't turn there. But it's found in Luke 180. It's like, it's kind of just, all of a sudden you go through this Luke account and you go Luke chapter two and Dr. Luke says this and he says this in Luke 180. Just listen, he says this. He says, and the child grew, John the Baptist, child grew and became strong in spirit and lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. There's a sense where John the Baptist was a boy. And then it said he grew. How did he grow? He moved away from home. He went into the desert. He grew strong in spirit. He went from boy to man out on his own. He left home and he became a man and he was waiting for the day of repentance. He was waiting till God called him into this dream or this calling on his life. And in the meantime, he grew. He didn't wait. He didn't let mom pay his bills. He waited for this desire in his heart that he knew would be on him. And he worked until the opportunity surfaced. He went from boy to man, no adolescence. He was preparing himself, scripture says. And so God gave him that opportunity to be what he was supposed to be. We call adolescence today when men are in their 40s a midlife crisis. It's not midlife crisis. It's adolescence. 40-year-old men who all of a sudden want to be little boys again. They want to go back to their college days when they had frat parties. And they want to go back and do things that they did when they were 18 and 19. Listen, guys, we don't go back. We're adults. We're men. We step up. And so somehow even sociologists have this terminology. We put on this midlife crisis. Listen to me. It's called adolescence. Men do stupid things. 
with his guy friends, even into their 30s and 40s, like kick each other in gut and see who can hold it the longest without bending over. Guzzling down kegs to see who can stand with the most beer in their gut. Seeing which guy can put the most beef through his colon. I mean, just stupid stuff. And it continues, 20s, 30s, and 40s. Fantasy sport leagues that consume their whole week. Seriously, think about it. It's fantasy, guys. It's not reality. You have guys who are consuming themselves 15 to 20 hours all week, staying up late because there was a trade deadline or someone got hurt. And I want to say, it's a fantasy. Live in reality, wasting their time so that they can be number one on the chart in the fantasy football or baseball or basketball. We have guys who are depressed right now because fantasy basketball hasn't started. I want to say, grow up, little boy. Grow up. We have adolescents in their 20s and 30s playing video games and seeing who can spit the farthest. You know, it probably won't be long in all seriousness. I, I, I'm sorry. It, it probably will happen in our time and your time where we'll go to the mall and there'll be these strollers for men with meat binkies and beer sippy cups. <laughs> and these girlfriends will be pushing them. And then, and then the girls are saying, they'll say, hey, how's your man? Oh, he's got great potential. There he is. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, are we going to let that happen? Not on my watch. You won't come to Grace Community and get permission to do that. You won't read your Bible and get permission from God to do that. You won't rub elbows with with the leaders of this church and get permission to do that. We'll call you out. We'll challenge you and we'll love you. We'll friend you. We'll kick you in the butt a few times. And we want you to kick us in the butt a few times too. Because that's not the path to manhood. It just isn't. The world, the church, the home, the workplace needs some real men, godly men, men who turn the tide and become modern-day heroes. Think about that for a second. When's the last time you read a good autobiography or a biography about it? Even in schools, when's the last time that they take a month, each month, and let's read about a hero. Let's study about a hero. We don't even study about heroes anymore. You want to grab boys in your schools instead of making them sit down and listen? Let them go out and play recess every hour because they need to move. Don't give them Ritalin. They don't have ADD. They're just boys. Read them a good story about an American hero. Watch them come alive. Watch this little boy all of a sudden say, I want to be that man. You want some teaching advice? I'll give you some. You're great teacher. You want some uh, additional advice? How about a monthly story about a hero who fought through a battle, who who, who looked death in the face? You want to see your boys come alive? Tell them those stories. We need some good stories about heroes. We don't even hear about heroes anymore. All we hear about in the press is everything that every man has ever done wrong. We, mod- we need modern day men to become heroes today. Examples for other men to see. Men who will say enough of this nonsense and proudly carry the badge of manhood that's draped in godliness. Men who get a job support their wives, love their kids, and are emotionally and spiritually stable. Husbands and fathers who would fight to hell and back for their families. Where are those men? They're in this room. That potential lies within you. They're in the link. That potential lies within you. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me, but you can make a choice to do it for yourself. Whatever happened to the traditional path to manhood that kind of went something like this? It's like we hear it now and say, oh, that's just old school. Whatever happened to this path that, that, a, that a, a young boy would graduate from high school and then he would either go to vocational training, he would get a job, or he would go to educational training and he would spend the next years of his life getting a vocational trade, getting an educational trade, or getting a job. And then after he got that job, he already left home. He went and got a house or an apartment. He got a job that supported whatever he was doing. He got on this path to his career job, and if he didn't get on the path to his career job they wanted, he worked until he got that job. And during that time, mom didn't pay his bill and wash his laundry. Whatever happened to, then he met a woman, 
that he saw, and he saw her, and, and all of a sudden, he saw that she was beautiful on the inside, and she was radiant from the inside out, and she was beautiful on the outside, and he saw her, and he said, will you be my bride? And they married, and he supported her. And if need be, she had a job too that supported it and it was beautiful. It's like he supported, she supported. And whatever happened, that, hey, let's have kids. And if the guy wanted to have kids, he had kids. Whatever happened to that path to manhood where a kid graduated from high school, went on a vocational training, got an educational studies or skills, went and got a job, got an apartment, got married, and had kids. Whatever happened to that? Now we have, well, let's see if your mother-in-law is employed. Let's see how long I can live at home. Let's see how long I can live in adolescence. Whatever happened to traditional manhood where the Bible in Genesis 2 said, leave home and get a job? I tell you what happened. We believe a lie. That there's this other path that somehow we can keep supporting and, 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 and depending on, on other people. By the way, let me just say this to men. Don't waste your life waiting until you get that career job. I hear guys all the time, well, I'm just going to wait here and wait for that perfect job and I'm going to live off mama and daddy until I get that perfect job. Listen to me. Don't waste that time waiting. You plug in. You work hard. You earn income. You stand in lines until someone hires you. You do whatever you can to be the man, the provider, so that when a girl does see you, you say, that boy went through everything to become a man. I say all that to say this. That's the condition. Next thing I say is this. It won't be easy to remove, to go from here to here. It won't be easy. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, and here's why. Genesis chapter 3. It won't be easy. If it was easy, then our robe would be full of men and not adolescent boys. Look at Genesis chapter 3. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. By the way, if you're a man and a husband in this room, bring your Bible for crying out loud. And listen, if you don't have a Bible, listen to me. Guys, listen to me. I know you might not agree with me. Listen, don't read your wife's Bible. If you're not carrying your Bible, man up, get a Bible. Some of you don't like that. I just said that, but it's the truth. And I don't care. <laughs> Thank you, Chuck. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Would you stand with me? We're going to read this together. Genesis 3, verses 6 to 19. Men, read from your Bible. I just want men to read this with me. We're going to read Genesis 3, verses 6 to 19. Ready, men, read. When the women saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, a God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put into me between you and woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Your, with pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since it is, you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Thank you. You may have a seat. Look back at this text that we just read. It's this picture of the fall of man. First you see in verse 6, passive man standing there. Eve is about to do something that she shouldn't. Adam is with her. 
She's about to eat from a tree she shouldn't eat. Adam should have said, woman, don't go there. But he didn't. He passed, was very passive. He, he didn't lead. He let her fall. And as a result of that, he ate too. He was passive. In verse 8, the man hid because he was too afraid to face his problems. How common is that in our world? A man is afraid to face his problems, so he hides. He's afraid to admit when he fails. He's afraid to admit that he needs help. He's afraid to overcome his addictions. He lets fear rule his life. And so instead of facing and becoming the man that he needs to do, you know what he does? He hides. And so he retreats. It started with Adam. Men all over our world, over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, as soon as they have a problem, they run from it. They're afraid to admit that they failed and they let fear keep them from being who they should be. Then in verse nine, There's this verse that's stuck right in the beginning of time. I want you to look at it again. Chapter 3 and verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and asked this question. What does he ask him? Read it with me. Where are you? Is not God still asking that same question today? (laughs) Isn't he still asking, man, where are you? As he scanned the garden looking for the man, God himself said, where are you? And you know where he was? Hiding, running. Not any different than today. And God is crying out like he did in Genesis 3. Today at Grace Community Church, as he scans here, he is crying out, where are you, man? Where are you? are you man where are you man where are you man where are you man would God point you out as his man in verse 10 fear Adam replies he said I ran because I was afraid and in verse 12 he passes the buck God looks at him and he looks and Adam says, you know what? I did that because of her. I mean, hasn't men been, haven't men been doing that since Genesis 3? Blaming someone else? Listen, guys, it's time we fess up and say, I screwed up. I messed up. Forgive me, God. Forgive me, wife. Forgive me, children. Forgive me, boss. I'm sorry. It's time we fess up and say, I'm not so sorry. Instead of passing the buck. And then God says this to him. As a result of his sin, this is why it's so difficult. This is why it won't be easy to be the man of God. Look at verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife. Boy, you could really take that out of context if you wanted to, but we won't do that. (laughs) That would be fun. (laughs) I'd get in a lot of trouble, though. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce what? What is it? Thorns and what? Thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. In other words, all the days of your life, it will not be easy. It won't be easy, but you can do it. The very ground that you plant seed in, the very ground that you want to to bring life out of, the very family that you want to care for, the very business that you want to care for, your name itself, the God name that God placed on you, the very things that you're supposed to be doing well, it will be difficult. In the very same place that you want to see life come out of, when you plant seed, there will be thistles and thorns and there there will be trials and hardships and there will be struggles and there will be failures and you have to battle through it. Wouldn't it just be awesome? We love to garden. Wouldn't it be awesome if you put your corn seed in, you put your bean seed in, you planted your tomato plants, and you put in your strawberries? Wouldn't it be awesome to plant strawberries and never have the, uh, or, uh, uh, thistles and never have weeds? Wouldn't it be awesome? Just, and you stand back and say, wow, look at my garden. Wouldn't it be awesome? I mean, wouldn't everybody become a gardener? It's difficult. 
it's, it's time consuming. You gotta go out and you gotta pull the weeds. You gotta, you gotta cultivate the land. You gotta hire the land. You gotta work the dirt to get rid of the weeds if you wanna bring something good out of it. The very thing that you want good from, bad can come from it. It is hard work. No one likes to pull weeds. By the way, if you do, 20081 County Road, 146, New Paris, Indiana, anytime. There it is. There it is. That's why it's so difficult to be a man. Because we've been cursed because of sin. By, by the way, guys, if you want to pray with your wife, guess what? You're going to be opposed. <laughs> we have an enemy. If you want to love your family, guess what? It won't be easy. You'll be opposed. If you want to read your Bible like, and, and learn more about God and meditate on it and pray, guess what? It won't be easy. It'll be opposed. When you want to pray with your wife in the morning, when it seems like, man, there's just not enough time, you know why it feels that way? Because it's opposed by God or by Satan. And if you have God on your side, you can overcome that. We are in a war, guys. And when you recognize that, you get equipped for that war. And so every day when you wake up, the reason it's so difficult, it's opposed by an enemy who's strategic in the way he attacks you. The man you're supposed to be will be fought against. Man, we can fight back. By the way, there will be no free passes in being a man, no vacation days, no late arrivals for the task at hand because the enemy never sleeps. It would be much easier to be a boy I talked about in the beginning than to be the man of God that God wants you to be. Here's what I love about what God is, how he's wired us. I know this to be true, and men, you know this to be true. He's wired us to be cultivators, innovators, creators. He's wired us to be builders. Now think about it. We love to build. We love to cultivate. We love creative process. We love taking things and making. I mean, even from a little boy up, you give him something, to, just give him sticks, give him clay, he builds something. He takes cart or cardboard boxes and build stuff. In the DNA of man is cultivation. We are designed to cultivate, to build our families, to protect our families, to make them big and awesome and large and huge, bigger than anybody else's. Every man wants his to be bigger, better, stronger, business, home, whatever it is. It's in our DNA, but it's opposed by an enemy. Seriously, think about that. We're designed to cultivate our wives to build our homes, to build our children, our workplaces, our ministries, to be more like Jesus so that he gets the glory. That's why men are constantly in the process of building. Just seriously think about it. You put some wood and you put some men and you put some fire and you put men in a circle. They can't keep it small. Before you know it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Scott, you know all about it. He leads the way. Bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And why is it? Because we like big bigger, and best. Do you think Satan's going to oppose us sitting on the side of a mountain building a bonfire? No. Go build it. Go waste your time. Just go build, build, build. But the minute you go to make your family bigger, stronger, better, cultivate it, you know what happens? You're going to get opposed. Do you think Satan is going to oppose you as you're playing angry birds for three hours so that you can get to the next level? No. Guys, we want to be number one. And so we want to be better, stronger, bigger. Satan's got us duped. He knows how we're wired. He knows what we like to do. So he just lets us do it. And so he designs these things that pull men in that they can compete against each other because some of you like competition. I don't as much. But you know what's... (laughs) Isn't it true, though, that we like to compete So he's going to let us waste our time out there. That's why men are constantly wasting their time. But by the way, we have this innate sense in us that goes bad. Especially when you see a video game that you really like and you you see the initials and you look at that score and you're like, oh, I can get number one. And so you spend hours. And you just want to see CJB. And when you see CJB, I mean, how many times has your son come back to you? You're at camp, and he comes back from the campground. And he says, hey, by the way, they had a video game. I got number one. And you're, ladies, you're like, who cares? But to him, he built. He was better. He was stronger. And he wasn't opposed. Literally, we have men who are wasting away their lives trying to get to the next level on Donkey Kong while their family's going to pot. 
And Satan has us duped. Listen to me. I'm telling you, this is where he has men. He knows we like to build. He knows we like to cultivate. He knows we want bigger, better, stronger. And so he lets us. And so he's got all these designers out there designing these games, designing these products that pull men in fantasy sport leagues. If we spent one-fifth of the time that we spent on fantasy stuff, imagine what could happen to our families. I know what some of you want to say about video games. I know what you want to say. Well, you, you want to say, Pastor Jim, video games aren't sinful. And so, you know, I worked hard all day and, you know, and I'm good at angry birds. Really am. And you, you want to say it's not sinful. You know, you're right. It's not sinful. But neither is eating your weed whacker sinful. It isn't. I mean, if you want to go this afternoon and eat your weed whacker, you go ahead and eat your weed whacker. It's not sinful. Listen to me. It's stupid. It's dumb. Proverbs calls you a fool. I didn't. Proverbs did. Four to five hours a day on video games? No, it's not sinful. It's stupid. Why would you waste your life when you have a God who died for you? When you have a nation that's going to hell because they don't know the God that saved your soul. Why would you be, want to be number one on man of war when there's an enemy out there who wants to steal the soul of your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your workmate or your boss? Why would you rather want to be number one and get the next level on Donkey Kong than to be on mission for God? By the way, ladies, wait for a man and not a male. Not an adolescent little boy who says he's in, still in his 20s and 30s and 40s doesn't mean he's a man. We have guys' homes falling apart while he sits on the couch watching ESPN for the third straight time. Same thing. Now, I've been guilty of that. I've actually, I think, did it four times sometime. It's like Ann comes in. She, I said, she says, didn't you just watch it? Yeah, it was good. I'm going to watch it again. You know, I struggle with that too. It's like, I don't even know why I watch it four times. I even know what the announcer's going to say after the second time. It's like, something's going to change. She says, nothing's going to change. I said, no, but it's like that so much, I'm going to watch it again. There's not a guy here who doesn't understand that. Let me speak to men for a second here that are looking for a female. And you're thinking about getting married, and maybe you have someone beside you, or maybe you're down that path, and you're looking, and God's laid this, you feel like God's put this call on your life to be, to be married. If you're looking for a woman to date, here's what you need to do. I say, start by saying this. You see a woman that, you know, you see her somewhere. Maybe she's sitting beside you now because you squeeze in. You think, thanks, Pastor Jim. She's right beside you. Say this to her after the service, okay? Wait till after the service. But say this. I mean, if you're attracted to her inside, and, you know, you have to be attracted outside too. If someone says you don't have to be attracted outside, they're lying to you. There has to be some kind of connection there. You have this connection, you know, and you're, you're interested. Go to her and say... To, to a woman say, I got a Bible, I got a job. Are you interested? <laughs> Seriously. Isn't that enough? If you got a man that's got a Bible and he's got a job, ladies, you run to him. By the way, guys, if you get that out today and you post that on Facebook, I got a Bible, I got a job. You are going to get friend requests from single girls like you've never gotten before. <laughs> it's not that difficult. That's funny, by the way. I couldn't wait to let you hear that today. The reason it's so hard to pray with your wife, to lead your children, to pull away from video games, to leave the adolescents in your meat binkies, it's because you're a post. It requires hard work. And the ground and the soil that you're supposed to cultivate is full of thorns and thistles. But it can produce good things. It means this. There will be heartache. 
There will be trials. There will be times when you fail. There will be times even in marriages where it'll be so hard because it's, you're facing stuff that you never faced before and you'll want to run from it. Listen, don't go back and do what Adam did in Genesis 3. He started all this, by the way. Let's turn and face our consequences and turn to our God and confess, repent, and let's get back on mission and let's say, let's work this out. Hardship will always be part of a man's life. Get back up, dig in, plant another hole for your family, another seed, labor till you're out of breath. Even if you have to go through 24 bottles of Gatorade, the world has yet to see that kind of man. Now think about this. What would happen in this room and in the link if every man said, all right, enough of this nonsense. I'm going to be a Christ follower and I'm going all in for Jesus Christ. And the world has yet to see a church on mission like that. It's hard work. But when you stand on the other side of some thorns and some thistles, you talk to people who face the thorns and thistles. And when they stand on the other side and you stand on the other side and they look back and say, wow, look what God has done. We are stronger because we didn't run and hide because we knew with God all things were possible. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 that kind of puts this in perspective and it goes this way. Look at it behind me. It says, keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you got. Be resolute. Love without stopping. It's a sense of this man who's, who's the scout out in front. He's looking. He's resolute. I mean, he's all in. And it says that he's at it until, until he gets what God wants. And that he loves without stopping. Imagine a marriage. Imagine a father. Imagine a man in the workplace. Imagine a business that you had men that were resolute. Men that kept their word. Men that were all in. Men that stood at attention. Men that loved that never stopped loving. Man, you want to see a world change? That's, that's the prescription. You see, Satan is winning way too many battles in our world. We need some men to step up. You see, here's what happens. You're tired. One of the greatest weaknesses for men is laziness. It's because we're opposed. And so when we go to do something, it's hard work. You know, I mean, seriously, have you ever pulled weeds in your garden? You got done and said, I feel so good. I mean, you're washing the, the dirt out of your hands and you got to go clip your fingernails because the dirt got underneath your fingernails and you might have some thorns and, and some of them, your back hurts and you come away and you say, well, can I, you can go to your neighbors and you run, can I do your weeds too? Seriously, do you do that? If you do, come on down, come on down. I'll, I got a garden for you. It's hard work. But it, 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 it's, it's rewarding work. But it, it, you're tired. And so you have these men in this world that go to work. They work whatever it is, 7 to 2. They come home and take a nap. And then, or, or 8 to 5, 9 to 6, I don't know. And they have all different shifts. And they come home. And after working 8 hours, they're wiped out. You almost want to say, man, you've only worked 8 hours. And you're wiped out. And they go home and they sit in the lazy boy. And then wives come in and just feed them. And they give them their mink beer or their meat binkies. And they sit there. And they get their remote control and they play Angry Birds. Watch ESPN. They fall asleep and say, oh, it's been a hard day. Eight hours of work and you're tired? You know why you're tired? Because it's posed. You know what it might mean? You might have to get up at 6.30 a.m. instead of 7.30 a.m. and get your butt in the gym and exercise and get your body fit. But that's hard. That's opposed, isn't it? Seriously, isn't that, that's a post. It's like, why would I want to go to the gym? Because you know what? You might have energy enough when you come home in the evening to actually love your wife and play hoops with your son and daughters and run around the house and chase your wife. Imagine that. But some guys, now listen, you're not going to like this, but it's the truth. Some of you need to get back in the gym and get fit so that you can be all that Jesus Christ wants you to be. You are limiting how God wants to use you by your physical fitness. Guys, I'm serious about this. You're out of breath. You're tired. And so you're grouchy. You're grouchy. You know why you're grouchy? Because you're tired. You know why you're tired? Because you're not fit. When's the last time that you've been in the gym? When's the last time you ran a mile? When's the last time you lifted a weight? When's the last time you actually got on a goal-oriented journey that made you physically, spiritually? You know what? Spend time in the Word. Get spiritually fit. Get emotionally fit. I tell you what, it would be awesome to see every man at Grace Community Church fit physically. 
You wouldn't be tired after eight hours. You'd be ready for that second shift of wife and family and God and business and whatever it is. By the way, it's not easy. Do you think people who get up or exercise, do you think guys that get up at 6.30 in the morning with headlamps on their head and run through the Grace Community Pond find it easy? No. But they know they need it. You see, you develop a relentless spirit that says you'll be resolute. You'll be in the best physical, spiritual, and emotional condition. Ask yourself this question. Am I in the best physical condition that I could be in to be used by God and be the best husband and best man? The answer to that question would determine a lot of your resoluteness, your relentless spirit. When I was in high school and college, my nickname was Relentless. Imagine that. And it, just, it was just spirit that my mom poured into me that said, Jimmy, you can do it. You can do it, Jimmy. If other people can do it, you can do it, Jimmy. And that spirit was birthed in me as a young man. And I didn't realize the impact it had on my life. And so when I encounter things, I think, man, with God's help now, I can, we can do anything. If he wants it to be accomplished, let's go do it. We need that relentless spirit to return. But you need to know who you are in order for that to happen. Somewhere along the course of human history, we have forgotten who we are. Now, some of you know who you are. Some of you are Buckeyes. I pray for you. Some of you are Wolverines. That's it? Some of you are Spartans. I know a really cute, blonde, blue-eyed Spartan. And some of you are Terps, all one of us. Some of you identify yourselves as a CEO, as a teacher, as a welder, as a musician, as an entrepreneur, as unemployed. Some of you identify yourselves as married and lonely or a U.S. citizen. Some of you identify yourself as, as a father or a pastor. You all identify yourselves with something. But 1 Peter 2, 9 men says this. This is who you are. Listen to me, guys. This is who we are. This isn't what the devil will want to tell you, but let me tell you. This is what God says who you are and I am. Listen, listen to this. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And you are people belonging to God. That's who we are, guys. We are royalty. We are princes. We are God's chosen. He picked us and put us on his team. We're not bench warmers. We're not B team. We're the A team. We're in the game. And we are God's prized possession. He chose us to be on his team. When he looked across that gym and it was his turn to pick, he picked you and he picked me. That's who we are, men. We got to believe that, though. You've been handpicked out of the crowd. Not on the bench. He saw you in the crowd and he saw something valuable in you and he extended some grace and he said, hey, run with me. Your daddy is the king. He gives you refrigerator rights in the kingdom of heaven. See, man, you were made for this moment. God equipped you with what it takes to be the man he wants you to be. 1 Corinthians eleven seven says this, we are the glory and image of God. Ask yourself, do you feel that way today when you're doing angry birds? You see, we've lost our ambition, our desire to achieve, our need to continue to educate ourselves because we have let the enemy tell us we are someone else. Seriously, we should be the best builders, the best innovators, the best fathers, the best doctors, the best welders, the best CEOs, the best investors. We should be the best cultivators. We should be developing stuff because God is on our side. We should build the biggest, brightest, most effective inventions, families, businesses, churches in the world. Joshua 1.9 says, be bold, be courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But even that is under attack by people. You start building a business, you start building a ministry, you start building something effective that's changing lives. You know what happened? People hurl stuff from you. They lob these bombs. I'm always amused by that. I have people that say, well, your church is like 2,000 people. And it's like, boy, there must be something wrong. And, and they say, well, what do you just want to build a big church? Is that all you want? No, I don't want to build a big church. I just want to be a good cultivator. And you know what? At the byproduct of that, of people coming to Jesus Christ and them telling people about Jesus, and I'm going to build the biggest honking church that Jesus has ever seen and give him all the credit for it. That's in my DNA. By the way, 
Seriously, here's just a little sidebar that this is kind of like a pastoral kind of thing that, that pastors, it's funny to me sometimes. I have guys, they'll give me a hard time because grace is seeing people come to Christ and it's growing. And yet, how often do you go to business and say, hey, stop selling cars? Hey, no more investments. You're too big. It's like, we're okay with that, but we're not okay when God starts to work in a church. Listen, in my DNA, it's to build a strong family, to build sons of God, daughters of God, and a wife that radiates, and to lead them down the path, and to build Grace Community Church that charges the gates of hell. That's what I'm made to do. I'm not ashamed of it, nor should you be. Dudes, listen to me. Laziness is your greatest enemy. Get your butt off the couch, away from the TV, and start cultivating a new path for your family, for your life, and just dig and plant, dig and plant, and pull weeds and thistles, and march forward. Paul said this, and I'm going to agree with him. He says, I don't know about you, in 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got, no sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else about it, and then missing out on myself. The world needs some more heroes. It really does. They're in this room. You're here, guys. You're in the link. The world needs you. Your wife needs you. Young men growing up need some examples of some godly men who would go to hell and back if need be to advance his kingdom, Jesus Christ's kingdom. I stood on the mountain a few weeks back and we turned to Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 23 and it says this. Don't turn there. It says this. It says there would be 10 men from every nation who will run to one man and they'll grab a hold of his cloak because they've heard he's been with God and they will run with him. And I stood around this circle, around this fire that was just massive. Because we're builders. I'm standing around the circle. And I said this, would men run to you because they knew that you had been with God? And if there was a moment right now, and I said, all right, run to the man. Run to the man that's been with God. Would you be that man? Or is God still asking this question? Where are you? I think you're right here. God's still asking that question. Are you up for the call? Listen, I'm up for the call. I'm charging straight forward ahead. I need you. You need me. We need each other. And if we decided to get in the pit together and march forward, there would be no stopping us. The only thing that's stopping us is you. A while back, there's this clip from this movie that makes me want to jump on top of Scott right now. It fires me up. I'm sure it does the same for him. There's a scene in Facing the Giants where there's this leader of the team, and he's the leader. He's the captain of the team. And so the coach comes to him, and he says, you need to lead. You need to step up. You need to be the man. You need to be the man of God. And when you lead, everyone else follows. You need to be that man that everyone runs to. And so he's trying to pull this out of him. Really hard, trying to pull it out of him. And so he, he gets into his life and he pours into his life and he's on the football field and he says this, I want you to do the death crawl. And so this big game's coming up and he's trying to get these guys excited, but he wants the man to lead. He wants the captain to show the way and he wants them to know that he can do it, that he can overcome. Watch this clip. All right, let's go. Show me something. 10 yards. Move it, move it. Let's go. Let's go, Matt. Let's go. Let's go, Jonathan. Show me something. 10 yards. Show me some power. No knees. Keep your knees off the ground. Show me something. There we go. 10 yards. Show me some muscle. Show me some power. Give me some heart. Let's go. Very good, boy. Very good. Let's run it back. Oh, 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 so, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. 
<laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. The 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I don't want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. <laughs> get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground. Just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. Good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. That's it, Brock. That's it. Am I the 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You gotta keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving, keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it, you keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best, your very best, your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it, that's it, that's it. Keep going, don't quit on me, keep going. Keep driving it, keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. That's it, your very best. Don't quit on me, your very best. Keep driving, keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on. Keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know I'm, he's heavy. I'm bad out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going. You hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. You not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. Hours are burning. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your best. Your best. Don't stop. Keep going. Too hard. It's not too hard. You keep going. Come on, Brock. Give me more. Give me more. Keep going. 20 more steps. 20 more. Keep going, Brock. Give me your best. Don't quit. No. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Brock Kelly, you don't quit. Keep going. Keep going. Go, Brock Kelly. You don't quit on me. No. You keep going. You keep going. Go, Brock. 10 more steps. 10 more. 10 more. Ten more. Keep going. Don't quit. Give me your heart. You can. You can. Five more. Five more. Come on, Brock. Come on. Don't quit. Don't quit. Come on, Brock. Two more. One more. Let's go to the 50. Let's go to the 50. I'll have any more. Look up, Brock. You're in the end zone. Brock, you are the most influential player on this team. If you walk around defeated, so will they. Don't tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field in your arms. Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Guys, we need you. You can do it. Don't quit. Some of you are that far away from quitting. Some of you have already quit. Don't quit. The world needs you. Your families need you. Your wife needs you. Young boys that are growing up to be men need you. Don't quit. Get back up. Stand back up.
be that man. Get back in the gym. Get back in the book. Get back up and lead. Quit running and hiding. Throw away your monitors. Stand up and become men of God. Our world needs you. You can do it, guys. Listen to me. You can do it. Just a few weeks ago, we stood on top of the mountain in Western Maryland. And we took this walk around the top of this mountain for men who showed up. And we had this mantra that we shouted from the top of our lungs. From the back to the front, every man would yell it. And we got to the front, we yelled it coming again. And there are men in this room that remember that moment where we knew who we were. We told Satan who we were. And we declared that we would be that man. Men, stand up. Every man in this room, stand up. Every man in the link, stand up. Please, stand up. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I'm going to ask you to repeat this mantra with me. This passage from the word of God. Josh 1.9 says, be strong, be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Your Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. And anytime you think you can't do it, you just quote that scripture. You speak that truth. You declare that truth. You get back up and lead. The world has yet to see a church full of men that believe that. Will you be that man? Declare it with me. Now, I don't want any sissy declarations here. Your God has just scored a touchdown, and he used you to do it. You're on the winning team. So repeat after me. I'll break it down. Be bold. Be bold. Be courageous. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Go with that truth, declare it, believe it, live it, and take back what Satan has taken from us. See you next week. God bless you.